and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. You may be wondering why I have this little log cabin in front of me. Um, It's a little general store, and yesterday, Noah, Mackenzie, and I built this. Did we do a good job? Now, I say we built it. My role was to tell them what to do, and they did all the labor. Um, there's a good joke along this lines, but I, I don't have time for it now. We've got this little log cabin, and I have this to show you today, not just to show off what a great job we did, but because we're going to talk about what it takes to build something. What it takes to build something. Um, this took a kit of Lincoln Logs and some directions and a little bit of time. But there are certain things that are common for anything that you're going to build that's at all involved. Any kind of structure that you're going to build requires certain things. The first thing that you want to have and the first thing that we had to build this were some plans. You need some kind of plans if you're going to build something. After you've got some plans, and those plans might just be in your head, but you need some kind of plan, um, then what else do you need to build something? Materials. Materials. That's right. You need materials. In this case, our materials were these little logs. What else do you need? Labor. Labor. We need some workers. We need some skilled workers if we're going to do something right. You can have labor. Um, I grew up watching three guys that tried to build some things, uh, Larry, Curly, and Moe. They, <laughs> they made attempts, but I don't think you'd want to hire them. So you want skilled workers, not just any stooges that come along. What else do you need? Tools. Tools. Very good. You need tools. If you're going to build it, you need tools. Okay, so we've got our plans. We have our materials. We have our tools. We have our skilled workers. Anything else needed? Time, yeah. What? We need people to actually do the work. We need effort. Okay, we need, we can have a bunch of guys standing around with a bunch of tools and a bunch of materials and some plans, but does that get my house built? No. 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 They may get paid, but that doesn't get my house built. They've got to actually have a mind to work. They've got to have the, the effort. Somebody has to actually do the work. And that's what it takes in order to build anything. So we begin with some kind of plans, some kind of plans. And um, I have here some plans I wanted to show you of different things that you might build. These are all blueprints. Here we have a blueprint for a house. Who would like to build a house? No would like to build a house. The rest of you just want to buy it. Here we have plans to build a barn. Anybody want to build a barn? 
couple of people want to build a barn. Mike, I know he is one. He does want to build a barn. These are plans, blueprints for an office building. It's actually a uh, Capitol Records, Capitol Records office building. Okay, Jerry, you probably want to build that one, wouldn't you? And this one is for a doghouse, a doghouse. Mike built a doghouse. He built it for Augie. I don't think Augie, although Augie's always in the doghouse, I don't think he's ever been in this one. Um, and finally, we have a blueprint, plans for building a church. Who would like to build a church? I would like to build a church. Not this one, but I'd like to build a church. We'll talk about that more. We've got different kinds of blueprints, different kinds of blueprints. And if we're going to actually build, um, and if you, Mike, wanted to build a barn, and Noah wanted to build a house, and Jerry was going to build an office building, and did we have anybody else wanting to build something else here? A, a bowling alley. <laughs> And we all got together to build, and one wants to build an office building, and one wants to build a doghouse, and one wants to build a regular house, and one wants to build something else. How well would we do? Not very well. Because if we're going to accomplish anything, then we need to all be on the same plan. We need to work together and be on the same plan if we're going to build something. Turn to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, talking about wanting to build a church, but not necessarily that one, a lot of people call the church the house of God. The house of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 47, it says, But Solomon built him a house. Solomon built a house, but it's not talking about a residence. The house that Solomon built was what? The temple. The temple. That's what Solomon built. He built the house. The house that represented God's habitation. Verse 48. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, hath saith the Lord. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Even when the temple was built, and Solomon was not wrong in building it, God made it a point, even when they built that, that no physical building was his house. Heaven was his throne, the earth was his footstool. What house could contain God? God's bigger than all of that. So no church building should ever, you know, be talked about as being the house of God. And it's not what the house of God is, certainly in this time. God had the temple built because it represented his presence. It was a place then that people could go to seek his presence. But now there's something much greater. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you were listening to Manifestations this morning, you know the answer to this one. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. You are no more strangers and foreigners. 
Well, no matter where you come from, you're no more a foreigner, no matter where you are. You're no more a foreigner or a stranger, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner. Who's the chief corner of the building? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's who it's built upon. This church was built upon Jesus Christ. He is the chief corner. In whom? Who does the whom refer to? Jesus Christ. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. All that building is fitly framed together and it grows unto a holy temple of the Lord. The temple is no longer the one in Jerusalem. The temple now is the, the believers, the household of God, all of God's people, all of God's people. And it's all of God's people that are born again, whether they call themselves Lutherans or Baptists or Catholics or Episcopalians or whatever other name they might invent. The only one that counts to God is the church of God, that church of the body. And that is the temple. That's the temple. Verse 22. In whom ye also are built together for a habitation, a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. We are God's habitation. Where does God live? In us. In us. What is his house? You are. I am. Together, collectively, we are. Individually, it refers to the individual has the tabernacle in the New Testament, and the group has the, the temple. Tabernacle individual, the whole group, the temple. Because God lives within us. So if you want to build something, there's lots of things you might enjoy building. You might enjoy building an office building or a house. But the one thing that God has called you to build is the church, not the physical building with the steeple on it, but the church, the body of believers. And if you're going to do that, it requires the same things that we just talked about of it requiring to build anything. Another visual aid. This looked better before I just rubbed it across the chair. Um, so we have building the house. And what's the first thing that we have? Plans. 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 The first thing that we're going to do if we're going to build a house is we need plans. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter, nine, chapter 3. Rather. We need plans because it's not up to just us to decide how to build this house. God has a plan. And it requires that. Anything that's built requires structure. If you're going to build something, it requires structure. Even this little Lincoln log cabin required some structure. You could take those materials, you could take the tools, you could have the workers, and you could approach it like Larry Curley and Moe did and just start slapping it together. But if you don't have a plan and it doesn't take on a structure, is it going to last? No, it's got to have structure. And that structure gives strength to the building. The structure gives strength to the building. If you know anything about framing, you can really appreciate that. Because 
It's the structure that gives strength to it. You pound a, a, a nail through a two-by-four into another two-by-four. If you just did that all in one long line, if you took all your materials for a house and you just started pounding those nails into the boards in one long line and then raised it up, how long would it stand? It wouldn't stand long enough for you to get it up there unless you had a whole lot of workers holding it. Because it's the structure of itself. And the more that that structure is interconnected, then the greater the strength of it. If you just build one wall of this, it's going to fall over. It's the pieces being connected to one another in a manner of a structure that gives it strength. And that same thing is true when it comes to building this house. It is structure that gives strength to the building. Some people don't want to have structure. Some people don't want to have any organization to this house, this building, this church. But it has no strength without it. It has no strength without it. It is that connection. It is that individual members being connected to one another that gives it strength. And the more they are interconnected, the greater the strength is. You've got to take heed how you build this. And that's what it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We are God's what? Building. building. His husbandry and his building. You have more than one illustration there. Verse 10, According to the grace of God which is given unto me has a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Paul said, as a wise master builder, he laid the foundation and then others built on it. And it's still being built. Paul laid that foundation, but we're still building. We are still building on it. But everybody needs to take heed, to be careful, to do it with a plan, and with strictly following that plan, and that plan being God's divine design, everybody has to take heed how he builds. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid. Paul laid the foundation, but what was the foundation that he laid? Which is who? Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The church is built on him. The church is built on Christ. He is the foundation for it. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, all these things that are just carnal, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. He'll get, he's going to get paid. <laughs> if the, the structure stands, if what he built lasts, then he'll receive a reward for that effort. He'll receive a reward for that effort. 
If any man's work shall be burned, if it doesn't stand, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as be by fire. It's talking about that time when we will stand before God at the Bema, that platform to receive rewards. And everything that we do in life is going to be judged to determine whether it's something that was a work that really lasted, a work that was built the right way, or if it's a work that just could not withstand the trials. And what determines whether or not that work will stand? If it's built according to that, on that same foundation, according to that plan, according to the plan of God's word. Know ye not, verse 16, ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. There we have it again. You are God's building, and that Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We have to take heed how we build. Look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, Jesus Christ talked about building, building a house as well. In Mark 7 and verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, what were, what were the sayings of Jesus Christ? The word of God, the word of God. What did he always speak? The words that the Father gave him to speak. If any man hears these words and doeth them, I will liken him unto a man which built his house upon a rock. That fella who hears God's word and does it is like the fella that built his house on a sure foundation, that bedrock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the heat pot fell, beat upon that house, and it, felt, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. When the storms came, when the rains came, when the winds beat on it, it didn't fall right over. It wouldn't take too much to knock this one over, would it? But that house was built on the solid rock, and it stood. Verse 26, And everyone that heareth these saints of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the heat beat upon the house, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. If you don't build your house on something solid, if you just build it on sand, then what's going to happen to it when the rains do come? It's just going to fall down. It's just going to fall down. Do you want your house to stand? Do you want the things in your life to stand the test of time? Do you want those efforts that you make to be sure? Then it has to be built upon the Word of God. The man who built, hears the Word and keeps it is the man who builds upon that rock. Well, after plans, what's the next thing we need? Materials. 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 Our materials over here are the little logs. That's not the materials that we build with. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. What are the materials of the temple? What are the materials of this house? Well, we actually already saw it. It said that that whole building was fitly framed together 
it's fitly framed together. And that's each individual member of it being interconnected. In chapter 4 and verse 11, we read, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. What is edifying? Building up. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now, <clears throat> they tell you not to mix your metaphors, but God, God does it, so I think I'm okay. The one metaphor that it uses in talking about the believers, the family of God, is a building. The other one that's used repeatedly is the body. And there are very similar attributes to each of those. Each one of them has a structure to it. You're not just a bag of bones. You've got structure. And there's a wonderful structure to the human body. You've got the bones, and they're connected by the ligaments, and the tendons, and the muscles, and all of this, and then the skin on top, and so on and so forth. There's a great structure to the body, and because of that structure, that the body functions the way it does, as does a building. And just as the building is comprised of individual members, one of the definitions of members is any element that's used for building. And the members of the body are those individual people in the body of Christ, the individual believers. Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even who? Christ. Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. That whole body is fitly joined together. You know, the knee bones connected to the whatever bone, you know, the son. So it's all fitly joined together, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And just the same way as a building is fitly joined together. You know, when it comes to construction, you've got different types of joints. You know, you pound a nail, and that's one type of joint, but it's not necessarily the strongest by a long shot. Here, a log cabin is notched out, where those logs are cut out to fit one into the other, and that gives strength to it. And with real logs, they're heavy, so it's a lot better. Now, if I, if I wanted this little log cabin to not be so flimsy, what could I do to it? Glue it. I could glue it, right? I could glue it. And that would make those joints even tighter if I glued them. What's the glue that keeps the body of Christ together? Love. It says in Colossians that love is the bond of, of perfectness, the adhesiveness. It's what keeps it really tight. We're fitly joined together. And God's placed each member in the body where it's pleased Him. For that body, for this body to be strong, we have to be connected. We have to be connected. And the more that we are interconnected, the stronger it is. You know, if you take 
one member and you start one, one building member. If I take one big post and I start nailing the end of a board onto it, and I have 20 boards nailed onto it, okay? How strong is that? Not very. But if those boards aren't just nailed to that one, but to each other, how strong is it? Very. That's the way it is with the body, with this body, with God's household. It's not just one member being connected to another. It's not just Grace is connected to me, and Loretta's connected to me, and Mike's connected to me, and Alan's connected to me, and so on and so forth. That gives us some connection, but that's nowhere near as strong as if not only are each one of those people connected to me, but then Mike is connected to Grace, and to Loretta, and to Phil, and Phil is connected to all of those, and also Michael and Jerry and so on and so forth. Those connections, those connections we make with one another is what gives greater strength. It's why every member is so important. You know, this, this meeting, Dylan's not here. And he's missed, you know. When I came time to set up the meeting, you know, I, I definitely missed him. When it came time for playing, now Mike, he jumped in there and took over, and, and the body will cover for one another in that way. But boy, he's missed. Now, every member's that way. You may have just been, become part of the body a week ago, but if you weren't here now, you'd be missed. You might not have been missed before you joined the group, you know. Before, before cell phones came along, I never missed them. You never missed a cell phone before you had it, before, before they were invented, did you? No. But how many would give them up now? No. Now that you have it, you really miss it because you see what it can do. And you become dependent upon it, and you, you see the benefit of it in your life. We do that for one another. If you, didn't, if you weren't here today, you would be so missed. You would be so missed. And you may not know it. You don't know the fellow that went home thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so, it was a great fellowship, but I sure missed Dylan not being here, or if Rita hadn't come, you know, I sure miss Rita not being here. I always so look forward to talking to her. It just always blesses me so much. She just builds me up. Each one of us is so important. And the more we recognize that, and the more we become connected through that love of God, the tighter the bond, then the stronger the house. We should take heed how we build. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The next thing after we have the plans and the materials is we need what? Tools. Tools. We need tools. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That word weapons, you know, it's, it's used here, it's translated as weapons, but the, the basic bottom, lowest denominator of the definition of that word is instruments. It can be used of any instrument to do anything, to build anything, to make anything. So instruments of war are weapons. 
but it can also be used of other instruments as well. And the instruments that we use are not carnal. The tools that we use in building are not carnal, but they are spiritual. Spiritual to the end that they can accomplish something. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about the tools that we use. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, For the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Our abilities, our tools, are the spiritual enablements that God has equipped us with. <clears throat> Some of you have taken the intermediate class, and you're familiar with the illustration that's often done there with a toolbox, right? And the manifestations, those are the tools. Those are the tools. And it says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one prophet is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. And then he goes on to list them. He lists the faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are all the manifestations. These are all the tools. But all these work that one in the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. For the body is not one, the body, for as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For the body is not one member, but many. Now ye, now, but now are they many members, yet one body, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We are all these members. And as we operate the manifestations, utilize those tools. That's how we build that structure. That body is interdependent and interconnected. It's the way that God designed it. That's the plan, that we are interconnected. And then as we operate those tools, it gets stronger and stronger. And we'll look in a minute here at the workers. We're looking at the building of the house, this house, the house of God, God's dwelling place being us. And we saw that it takes plans, it takes materials, and that it takes tools to go with those materials, and that those tools we saw were the manifestations. But it's more than that. It's, that's part of the tools that we have for building. But there's other tools as well. Look at, for, at Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication... Proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of doing what? Edifying. Edifying. Corrupt is that which tears down. We're to not let any corrupt communication come out of our mouth, words that would tear others down, but rather words that would build up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's what we can do with our words. How do we build one another up? Yes, through the operation of manifestations, but much of that involves words. It's the words that are spoken in those messages of tongues with interpretation and prophecy that build up the church. Those are designed specifically for building the church. And 
Concerning that, it says also in 1 Corinthians, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. God wants us to seek to be able to build one another up. And all the words that we speak to one another can do that. Every time you have a conversation with somebody, you can either build them up or tear them down. You know, you can just say kind of words that do neither building or, or tearing down, I suppose. But there's the opportunity there to build each other up. And it, sometimes, yes, sometimes that's by telling somebody how wonderful they are, how much you appreciate them, recognizing something they did or pointing out some great quality. But sometimes it's just those words that make their day a little brighter. If I come to you and I tell you, oh my gosh, let me, let me just spend the next hour telling you how miserable I am, what a sad state of affairs the world is in, have I built you up at the end of that? No. no. You know, Jack and I were talking before the meeting about Facebook and, you know, how, how often that can get so contentious and how, how frequently people are so combative and, and how much they just tear down and words can just, there can be a venom to them. Or you can build up just by looking to minister grace to the hearer. You know, when you speak words that are positive, when you speak words that are encouraging, those build up. Well, besides, if we're going to have the plans and we're going to have the materials and tools, what else do we need to be able to build? Skilled workers. We, can, we want skilled workers. Not just any old workers, but skilled workers. Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You want skilled workers. And there was a need for workers in this to do some building here. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus Christ said, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors, oh my gosh, we got more of them than we know what to do with. No. The labors are what? Few. It's always the case. The laborers are few. There are few people really willing to do the work. You know? There are few people, and boy, you know, if you, if you get involved with any large group to accomplish anything, you find that out, there's few, few willing to really do the work. You know, like one of my favorite kids' stories is, uh, what is that? Who's, built, who's, who's planting, who wants to get, make bread? Who is that? Um, chicken. Yeah, what chicken? It's not Chicken Little. What chicken wants to make the bread? Um, oh, my goodness. This is okay. <laughs> I'm too long for not doing this stuff, right? You know, who would like to help me plant the wheat? Not me, said the goose. Not me, said the pig. Not me. What is that story? Oh, my goodness. We are all really getting old. We, we have a couple of kids in here. Somebody ought to know this one. Well, you know the story. You might not know what it's called, but I think most of you know the story anyway, right? <clears throat> you know, it... Huh? No, if you think of it, let me raise your hand. We'll get it in here. Um, Hanny Penny's one of those workers, but that's not the name of the story. Anyway... The labors are few, but the harvest is great. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of people that still need to hear God's word. There's a lot of people that still need some encouragement, that still needs to be built up, that still need some help. 
God needs those that are willing to do the work, those that are willing to help build. He doesn't need any more people to tear down. There's plenty of people that are, that are happy to be on the demolition crew, but not a lot that want to be on the construction. And it says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We need laborers, and we need those laborers to be skilled laborers, to be trained. You know, it's good to have any laborers at all, but the more trained they are, the more skillful they are, the more they can really contribute. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Skilled workers, when it comes to the category of building the church, are those that have they've, they've grown up in Christ. They've developed themselves spiritually. They're able to handle the Word. They know the Word of God and they know the right Word. So that somebody has a problem, they know how to help them with it. It talks about a word fitly spoken. It's like apples of gold and, and pitchers of silver. You know, being skillful in God's Word, and that means that you've learned how to, to handle it. You not only know your, your books of the Bible, although some would do well to get that far, um, <laughs> But you know, you know the keys to the Word's interpretation. You can rightly divide God's Word because just quoting a verse at somebody, if it's not the right verse in that situation, can do more harm than good. That's for sure. Just ask Job. He can tell you about that. <laughs> he had people quoting all kinds of things at him. But were they of any help to him? No, God called them miserable comforters. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. You know God's Word, not just to the point that you, you know what it says in there, but you know what applies in what situation. And that not only helps you, it enables you to help others as well. If you're going to give somebody advice, and it's your own opinion, you might be right and you might be wrong. Yes? And, you know, everybody... I had a friend that used to say, use, a, use a, a metaphor about everybody having an opinion, and it was like something else they had. But everybody has opinions, but you can't trust your own opinion. If you want to be sure that what you're telling somebody is going to be of real help to them, is really going to build them up, then it's got to be God's Word and the right Word in that situation. Look at <laughs> the other thing it takes is effort. <laughs> effort. That's our next thing. Not only do we have workers, but they can't just be standing around. We need effort. In Romans chapter 14. In Romans 14, verse 19, it says, Let us therefore follow after. 
The word follow is not just kind of a, you know, lackadaisical following or a casual following. It's to pursue. It's the same word that's used and translated in another context as persecute. Let us follow after with passion. Let this be something we passionately follow after. The things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may what? Edify, build one another up. Pursue in life those things that make for peace. You know, so many Christians want to do nothing but fight. They want to fight. They want to fight over doctrine. They want to fight over politics. They want to fight over anything and everything. When do you get around to then the building up? We're to follow after the things that make for peace and the things wherewith we can edify one another. That should be our passion. How can I build others up? How can I help somebody? What can I do to make this stronger? How can I draw closer to someone? How can I make a greater connection with another person? Because the more we're connected, the stronger it is. If every meeting I just talk to Sherry, we've got a great bond. But what about everybody else? We need to make connections with one another and strengthen it. And that's building up. That's following after the things which make for peace and edify. Look at chapter 15 of Romans. Verse 1. We then that are strong ought to, embear, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Life is not just about pleasing ourselves, but boy, that's the way that some people live it. Some people, the only thing that they think about in life is how to please themselves. How can I get more money? So then I can have more things, and that will please me. How can I get more things that will be more fun, you know? I want a boat, and I want a jet ski, and I want an airplane, and, you know. And I'm not knocking, you know, enjoying those things. But there's more to life than just pleasing ourselves. And it's not just in the category of things. It's not just in the category, you can, you can have nothing and still just live to please yourself. Right? You know, what's going to bring pleasure to yourself? But it says that if you're strong, then we shouldn't do that. Verse 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. We don't want to live just for ourselves, to please ourselves, but figure out how to, to make other people happy. What can we do to please others? What can we do to serve? What can we do to build someone else up? Because as we do that, as we help others, then we are building. Verse 3, For even Christ pleased not himself, but has it as written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. What's this church built on? Christ. And if we're going to build the church on Christ, how do we do that? By doing the things that he did, by living the way that he lived. The purpose of a Christian is to be more Christ-like. That's who we emulate. That's our role model. That's who we act like. We want to be like Christ. Did Christ just please himself? You know, when you read the Gospels, is it about Jesus Christ and all, taking all the, um, you know, exotic vacations and, you know, all the things that he acquired and all the time that he spent going to ball games and concerts? And No. And again, 
It's not that I'm saying it's wrong to go to a ball game or go to a concert or have some fun in life. But there's, there's also the real goal is to, to reach out, to help others, to build, to be like Christ. If we want to be like Christ, we don't do it by growing long beards and long hair. See? But it's in our actions. It's in the words that we speak. What did Jesus Christ do? How did he live? That's what we are to emulate. Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great book. I was going to cover a lot of it, but we're not. Go to Nehemiah chapter 4. It takes effort. It takes laborers that have a mind to work. And there's a great example of that in the Old Testament about a group of people that they were going to do some building. They were going to do some building because these were people that came from a place that had gotten really torn down. In the Old Testament, you read about Israel and, and Judah. And Judah was taken captive into Babylon, and then Babylon was taken captive by Persia. And when the Persians took over, um, they gave the Judeans the opportunity to return to their land. So some of them returned. But then those that didn't, those were still in the land of Persia and those places they had been taken captive to, they heard that things back in Jerusalem, back in their hometown, things were not so good. They started to hear that things were really bad there because after they were taken captive, that place was just burnt to the ground. It was razed to the ground. It was destroyed. They tore down the temple. They burnt it. They tore down the walls of the city and burnt it. And people started coming back when they were allowed to, and they started to rebuild. First, they rebuilt the temple. And then, after the temple, there was a need to rebuild the walls. And that's where we hear, come in here in the story in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah had gotten permission. He was, it says, the cupbearer to the king, the king of, of Persia, uh, Axartesis, something like that. I, huh? Artaxerxes. Okay. Uh, you know, we'll just call him Art. How's that? <laughs> he, was, he was the right-hand guy to Art. He wasn't just the cupbearer like a butler, okay? He was an advisor to him is what that means. He was a, he was a chief advisor to King Art. And, and King Art one day saw that, that Nehemiah was looking down in the face and all down in the mouth. He was real sad and said, what's wrong? And he said, well, you know, I've heard bad things about the state of, of my hometown, and I want to go and, and build it, rebuild it. So he gets permission to do so, and he heads in there. But when he does, the folks that are living in that region, they're the Samaritans. And the Samaritans are a mixed bunch by now. There was a remnant that was left there, but then other people that were brought in there, and they all intermarried, and, and these guys were a real mixed bunch, not just in terms of their genealogy, but also in terms of their beliefs. And the Samaritans had a lot of wrong belief, and, and it, they had mixed Christianity, not Christianity, that comes later, same problem, just it's Judaism. <laughs> Judaism back then it gets mixed in with, you know, idolatry, pieces of some idolatry, and so forth. 
So when they get there, and they get there to rebuild, then <clears throat> the people that are there, the Samaritans say, oh, we'll help you rebuild. We'll help you rebuild. And Nehemiah said, no deal, no deal, because this is God's stuff that we're building, and the people that are involved, they need to be people that are not corrupted. Well, believe it or not, the Samaritans take offense to that. <laughs> and their leader is a fellow by the name of Sanballat. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, that's what they're building. They're building, rebuilding the wall around the city. He was wroth, he was mad, and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. He made fun of them. Okay. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, what are these feeble Jews trying to do? Will they fortify themselves? You know, will this ragtag bunch of Jews, are they going to rebuild Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Are they going to accomplish anything? Do they think they're going to rebuild these walls in a day? Do they think they're ever going to get this job done? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish which are burned? Are they going to take these stones that are nothing but a rubbish pile and burnt ones at that because that's what happened to them? And are they going to build the walls out of that? He's just making fun of them and, and mocking it. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was with him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Doesn't sound real funny to me, but, you know, they, this is how they mocked him. You know, this is what they said, that, oh, look at that. Even a fox can knock that down. I suppose he got a laugh with his friends. Verse 4. Hear, O, o our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before them, for they have provoked to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had what? A mind to work. They rebuilt the wall. People said, oh, you'll never get it done. Well, are you kidding me? Who are you to rebuild this? Who do you think you are that you can accomplish anything? Who do you think you are that you can do something? And yet, they did it, didn't they? They rebuilt the wall because they had the mind to work. They were willing to put in the effort. That's what it takes. It takes effort. If you're going to accomplish anything, you've got to have a mind to work. You've got to be willing to do the work, the work that it takes. Verse 7. But it came to pass that Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches, those you know, holes in it, began to be stopped. Then they were very wroth. Now they're even madder when they heard that these guys are actually accomplishing it, that they're actually rebuilding it and that things are getting strong again. And, verse 8, conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Now they're not just going to make fun of them. Now they're going to fight against them. Now they're going to act on their belief. They're opposed to them, and they're going to actually fight them to try to knock down what they built. Nevertheless, what did these guys do? They prayed. Before they did anything else, they prayed. Because even 
in this age, it wasn't just carnal weapons. They knew it took God. They knew that the reason why they were there in the first place was God, and the reason they accomplished something now was because of God, and if they were going to handle this opposition, it was going to be with God, so they prayed. And they set a watch against them day and night because of them. They set up a watch against these, the enemy. And Judah said, let the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we were not able to build the wall. And it came to pass, when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all the places where whence ye shall return unto us, they will, build, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. They said they're going to be coming at you guys from all directions. So we put people everywhere with swords and spears and bows, bows and arrows. And I looked up and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. They said, get ready to fight. You've got to have a mind to work. At times, you've got to be willing to fight. You've got to be willing to fight. But remember, you're not doing this by yourself. Remember, it's God who's with you. He's the one strengthening your hand. He's the one helping you to build. He's the one that will help you fight and win. If you try it on your own, well, there's no guarantee of that. But if you do it with God, then you got something. Verse 15. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, he brought their wisdom, their counsel to nothing, that we, we returned all of us to the wall and everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of the servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergeons. Not quite sure what that is. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with, with one of his hands, wrought in the work, and with the other held a weapon. So you got half the people whose job is just to have weapons in their hand, and even the others have to be ready to fight. It says they have a weapon in one hand and a hammer in the other. They're ready to fight. Verse 18. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. That's how they do it. They've got their sword ready to fight, you know, so that if they have guys with trumpets, and that goes on to describe that, so that when, if they see the enemy coming, they're going to blow the trumpet, and you put down your hammer, and you pull out your sword, and you're ready to fight. You do your little fighting, then you put that back, and you go back to work. And that's how they did it. And they rebuilt that wall. They rebuilt it because they had that willingness, that willingness to do what it took, to fight, to work, to do whatever it took to build. That's what God needs now, workers that are willing to do whatever it takes, workers that are willing to do that work. God's called us to be those people. He's called us to build not a house like this and not a church with a steeple, but to build this house. 
You know that temple that they had rebuilt and the walls that they had rebuilt to the city? That was, was at that time what was called, you know, the city of God. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are God's people. We are God's habitation. And if God is going to continue to be able to help his people, to bless them, then his people have to do their part as well. God has no hands but our hands with which to give them bread. He has no feet but our feet to walk amongst the almost dead. We say that we are his and he is ours. Deeds are the proof of this, not words, and these are the proving ours. God needs you to help. God needs you to help the fellow next to you, to build him up and to make him stronger. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.